Part 2, Professor Sam Vakni, Narcissist, Trust Your Gut Feelings About Relationships with Anyone. Part 2. It's no wonder that religion is far more popular and always has been far more popular than, than competing alternatives like ideologies or, I don't know, science. Because it has an advantage. The advantage is the leveraging of the spiritual. Corce, an Italian uh, philosopher, distinguished what he called concept, representation or classification, from intuition. He said that intuition is expression of the individuality of an object out, of uh, uh, artistic objects. And he said there's concept, which is how we represent the object, how we classify it, how we analyze it, how we categorize it, how etc. etc. the boring stuff. And there's intuition. Intuition is like, boom, this is the object. And it's individual. There's no one and nothing like it. Of course, we have the same reaction to people. Aesthetic interest is intuitive. But aesthetic interest is intimately connected to individuation and separation. There is beauty in becoming an individual. And one cannot become an individual if one is not beautiful. Everyone, therefore, who is an individual is also beautiful. Some people are beautiful in the outside as, as well as the inside, like me, for example. But some people be are beautiful only in the inside. But there's no person alive who is an individual, who is an individual, who, is, who doesn't have an aesthetic value, a beauty, who is not, therefore, an objet d'art, artistic object, with two exceptions, narcissists and psychopaths. They have no individuality. They have hive minds, collages. And so when you come across a narcissist or psychopath, one of the main reasons that you feel ill at ease is that they are not beautiful. There is ugliness there. Sometimes they are too functional. Sometimes they are too goal-oriented. Sometimes they are distracted by their own absence. Sometimes I mean, something is wrong, and, and it's wrong in an ugly way. You feel ugliness when you are with a narcissist and psychopath, even if it's your first meeting and within the first 10 seconds. You're trying to compensate for it because you're lonely, and you want a partner, and you want to have sex. You didn't have sex for four years. It's your opportunity. You, or you want to go on a date, or you want to drink wine. You want to have fun. You know, so you, you repress it. You deny it. But think back, there was ugliness there, or at the very least, the absence of beauty. Art, according to Croce and Collingwood, should be mainly concerned with expression, in other words, with intuition, Hello. as an end unto itself, not as a means, but as the end. It shouldn't be concerned with other ends, expressing certain states of mind, and so on. Identic intuitions are also similar to... Uh, what is called uh, Paramartha Satya, the ultimate truth, in the Madhyamika school of Buddhist thought. The ultimate truth cannot be expressed verbally, and it is beyond empirical and illusory phenomena. Eastern thought, Zen Buddhism, for example, uses intuition or experience to study reality in a non-dualistic manner. Okay, enough philosophy.
next type of intuition. Next type of intuition is what we call emergent intuition. It's the second type. And subjectively, the intuiting person, the person who exercises intuition, has the impression of a shortcut, a short-circuiting of his usually linear thought processes. In other words, you feel a sudden flash. It's like there was a short-circuit in your brain, perhaps the equivalent of a a cognitive stroke. (laughs) It's based on trial and error, but the trial and error are obscured. They are not accessible. They're not transparent. And this type of intuition feels magical, like a quantum leap from premise to conclusion. The parsimonious selection of the most useful and the workable from a, from a myriad possibilities. Intuition, in other words, is rather like a dreamlike, truncated thought process. Mm-hmm. The subjective equivalent of a wormhole in cosmology. Exactly. It, it is often preceded by periods of frustration dead ends, failures, and blind alleys in one's work or one's relationship. Artists, especially performing artists, musicians, for example, they will often tell you, they'll often describe their interpretation of an artwork, a musical piece, and they will say, well, I intuited the piece, it was intuition. This is especially true in jazz. Many mathematicians and physicists, those who follow the kind of Pythagorean tradition, mathematicians and physicists, of which I'm one, they use emergent intuitions in solving general non-linear equations. The dirty secret of physicists and mathematicians. When we are faced with non-linear equations, very difficult equations and so on, differential, partial differential, non-linear equations and so on, what we do, we guess. We guess the approximants. We say, well, it looks to me like this would be the solution. The partial differential equation is very common. It's a guess. And once we guess, we try to retrofit, reverse engineer, to see if the guess works. If it doesn't work, we guess again. We guess again. Intuition. Henri Poincaré, one of the greatest mathematicians and physicists of the late 19th, early 20th century, a predecessor of Einstein, in many, many ways. Some even, accuse, some even accuse Einstein of plagiarizing some of his work. In a presentation to the Psychological Society of Paris in 1901, Poincaré said that even simple mathematical operations require an intuition of mathematical order, without which no creativity in mathematics is possible, which is why we can be pretty certain that the language of mathematics is inadequate and insufficient to capture reality or even the laws of nature. Poincaré described how some of his creative work occurred to him out of the blue and without any preparation, the result of emergent intuitions. He said, these intuitions that just came to me had the characteristics of brevity, suddenness, and immediate certainty. Most striking at first is this appearance of sudden illumination, manifest sign of long unconscious prior work. The role of this unconscious work in mathematical invention appears to me incontestable, and traces of it would be found in other cases where it is less evident. Remember these words. When you are confronted with someone new in your life, and you're wondering, is he a narcissist, is he a psychopath, Can will he be abusive, will the relationship be a horror movie? Let it go. Stop controlling. Stop analyzing. Allow the Poincaré perception of intuition to work. Rewind this video and listen again to what he said. 
subjectively emergent intuitions are indistinguishable from insights. Your brain is telling you, giving you insights, is, is telling you, walk away, you know, cut it out, emerge, diverge, run away, the scream, like you know, Monk's famous painting. Insight is more cognitive and structured and concerned with objective learning and knowledge, but both of them have the same mechanism. Um, intuition is a novel reaction, a novel solution based on already acquired responses and skills to new stimuli and new challenges. And still, both in insight and in intuition, there's a strong emotional, example, aesthetic correlate. Um, and, and this helps the emergence. So trust your life experience. Unbeknownst to you, everything you know, everything in your consciousness, every single bit of information, everything from your name to the name of your daughter, everything you know, your job, your skills, absolutely everything, statistically, is 5% of what's in your mind. 95% is submerged in the unconscious. Why would you let the 5% rule the 95%? When you meet a new person, let your unconscious run free. Release the horses. You know, release the stallions. These are race horses, Arabian race horses. They're going to win the race. Let it go. Intuition and insight are strong elements also in creativity, the human response to an ever-changing environment. They are shock inducers. They are destabilizers. The aim of intuition and insight is to move the organism from one established equilibrium to the next established equilibrium. And in this way, to better prepare the organism to cope with new possibilities, yeah. challenges, and experiences. I think I do that. If you have an intuition, you will have a bodily reaction. Don't be afraid. Don't recoil. Don't avoid. Let your body also talk to you. As van der Kolk says, the body remembers the trauma. Both insight and intuition are in the realm of the unconscious, the simple, the mentally disordered. Adverse effects of childhood. The great importance of obtaining insights and integrating them in psychoanalysis is because of this. Psychoanalysis uses insights to establish a new equilibrium. The third type of intuition is the ideal intuition. These are thoughts and feelings that precede any intellectual analysis and they underlie it. You know, you're all acquainted with one such ideal intuition. It's called empathy. Empathy is an intuitive mode applied to the minds of other people. It's a theory of mind. It yields an intersubjective agreement. Moral Morality is another example. Moral ideals, moral rules are intuitions. Can you prove to me? Is there any way to prove with reason, with logic, that killing someone is bad? No way. Let me save you the time. There's no rigorous way to prove, to substantiate, to convince that killing someone is bad. So why do we all universally agree that killing people is bad? Because it's intuitive. It's an intuition. Mathematical and logical axioms, basic rules of inference, necessary truths. I believe these are intuitions. You know, you can't prove an axiom by definition, it's an axiom. These moral, mathematical and logical self-evident conventions do not relate to the world 
They relate to our inner world. They reflect the structure of our mind. They're elements of the languages we use to describe the world or the codes that regulate our conduct in the world. It follows that these a priori languages and codes are nothing but the set of our embedded ideal intuitions. As the rationalists realized, ideal intuitions, a class of undeniable self-evident truths and principles, in these intuitions can be accessed by our intellect. In other words, intellect and intuition are not mutually exclusive. It's a myth. It is the intellect that allows us to access ideal intuitions, like mathematics, like morality, and even like empathy. When you date a narcissist or a psychopath, let your intellect do the work as well. Don't block any part of you. You need all the resources, trust me. You need your, your sense of aesthetics. Is this an ugly person? You need your, your intellect to analyze discrepancies, misbehaviors, tiny flashes. Um, you need everything. Rationalism is concerned with intuitions, though only with those intuitions available to reason and to intellect. Sometimes the boundary between intuition and deductive reasoning is blurred and fuzzy. They both yield the same results. Moreover, intuitions can be combined can combine them to yield metaphysical or philosophical systems or a judgment of another person or a situation. Descartes applied ideal intuitions, reason, to his eidetic intuitions, and this gave rise to his metaphysics. Husserl, Twardowski, Bolzano, they did the same when they developed the school of phenomenology, phenomenology in philosophy. They, they combined intuitions. The a priori nature of intuitions of the first and the third kind, eidetic and ideal, led thinkers such as Adolf Lasson to associate it with mysticism. He called it an intellectual vision, which leads to the essence of things. Lasson said that there is no real distinction between reason and belief in God, for example. In both cases, we are accessing, we are touching the essence. When you are with another person, your essence constantly talks to the essence of the other person. There's constant dialogue. By the way, this dialogue starts with an exchange of molecules. The minute you meet a new person, giant molecules are exchanged between you, mediated by the olfactory system, smell, and so on. These molecules contain close to 100 bits of information about the, the other person's genetics, immune immune system, and so on. This is how it starts. And from that moment on, your bodies are talking all the time, and your minds are talking all the time, and your essences, your souls, if you wish. This constant dialogue and communication. Only we, we have been trained by information overload, by mass media, by social media, and by social conventions. We've been trained to shut off this dialogue, to suppress it, to ignore it, to consider it politically incorrect or misleading or stupid or inferior. The irony of it, it's the foundation of all knowledge. Earlier philosophers and theologians labeled the methodical application of intuitions the science of the ultimates. Of course, this misses the strong emotional content of mystical experiences, but still. Confucius Uh, talked about fulfilling and seeking one's human nature. He called it Ren. He said, this is the way. 
the way is to fulfill your own human nature. This nature is not the result of learning. It's not the result, the result of deliberation. It's innate. It's who you are. It is intuitive and in turn produces additional clear intuitions, which he called young. And these new intuitions um, pertain to what is right, what is wrong, what is productive, what is destructive, what is good, what is evil. So he said a condition for learning about the world and about what's, what, what works for you and about the right people, people who are right for you, and about relationships, and you know what, about dating in a bar. Condition for all these yokes, clear intuition, is ready to seek your own human nature. This is the way. The operation of the natural law requires that there be no rigid codex, but only constant change, transformation, Heraklitos, the flowing river, guided by the central and harmonious intuition, of life yeah, and now i went and talked to some of my contemporaries in the 17th and 18th century and asked them uh, hey guys how you be doing uh put on your mask please i want to talk to you so they put on the mask and we discussed intuition and the first was Locke. Locke said to me are intuitions really a priori or do they develop in response to a relatively stable reality and interaction with a stable reality? Would we have had intuitions? For example, in a chaotic, capricious, unpredictable, disordered universe, do intuitions emerge to counterbalance surprises and shocks? Locke thought that intuition is a learned and cumulative response to sensation. The assumption of innate ideas, he said, is unnecessary and Kant is a cunt. The mind is like a blank sh uh, sheet of paper, tabula rasa, filled gradually by experience, by the sum total of observations and external objects and internal reflections, operations of the mind. He said that ideas, what the mind perceives in itself or what the mind perceives in immediate objects, ideas are triggered by the qualities of objects. But, you know, I plowed him with a few pints and I pushed him hard to the corner and finally Locke said um, okay I, I accept that there are ideal innate intuitions according to Locke a color for instance can be either an idea of in the mind ideal intuition or the quality of an object that causes this idea in the mind that evokes the ideal intuition and he said that the primary qualities, qualities shared by all objects, come close to being eidetic intuitions. So ultimately, he ended up as much as uh, as much a Kant, as much a Kantian as a Kant, as Kant himself. Locke himself admits that there is no resemblance or correlation between the idea in the mind and the secondary qualities that provoke the idea in the mind. And so Berkeley demolished Locke's claim that there is such resemblance or mapping between primary qualities and the ideas that they provoke in the mind. It would seem, therefore, that Locke's ideas in the mind are in the mind irrespective and independent of the qualities that produce them. In other words, these ideas are a priori, and Locke resorts to abstraction in order to repudiate it. Locke himself talks about intuitive knowledge. It is when the mind perceives the agreement or disagreement of two ideas immediately by themselves without the intervention of any other. The knowledge of our own being we have by intuition. The mind is presently filled with the clear light of it. It is on this intuition that depends all the certainty and evidence of all our knowledge. 
Knowledge is the perception of the connection and of the agreement or disagreement and repugnancy of any of our ideas. Knowledge is intuitive, intellectual perception. Even when we demonstrate, we, even when demonstrated, and few things, mainly ideas, can be intuited and demonstrated, relations within the physical realm cannot be grasped intuitively. So even when demonstrated, each step in the demonstration is ob observed intuitionally. Locke's sensitive knowledge is also a form of intuition, known as intuitive cognition in the Middle Ages. It is the perceived certainty that there exist finite objects outside us. The knowledge of one's existence is an intuition as well. But both these intuitions are judgmental, and they rely on probabilities. Okay, Locke, defeated 1-0 in favor of ideal intuitions. Even Locke had to admit that they exist. So I went not far away and met Hume. Hume denied the existence of innate ideas exactly like Locke. According to him, all ideas are based either on sense impressions or on simpler ideas. They can be deconstructed into simpler ideas. In this sense, by the way, Hume is the father of deconstruction, centuries before. But even Hume accepted that they are propositions known by the pure intellect, as opposed to propositions dependent on sensory input. These propositions deal with the relations between ideas, and they are logically, necessarily true. Even without any sense input, even a blind, deaf, dumb, quadriplegic, resurrected dead person would come up with these ideas. It didn't have a single second of sensory input. Even though reason is used in order to prove these ideas, they're independently true all the same, because they merely reveal the meaning or information implicit in the definitions of their own terms. These propositions teach us nothing about the nature of things, because they are at bottom self-referential. And isn't this the exact equivalent of Kant's analytical propositions? Yes, it is. Which leads me, of course, to Kant. Kant was a recluse who rarely left home, uh, which proves to me that he was a highly intelligent person. And he said that our senses acquaint us with the particulars of things and thus provide us with intuitions. The faculty of understanding provided us with useful taxonomies classifications of particulars, which he called concepts. And yet concepts without intuitions are as empty, as futile as intuitions without concepts. They need each other. Perceptions, phenomena, are the composite of the sensations caused by the perceived objects and the mind's reactions to these sensations form. These reactions are the product of intuition I said to myself, I'm getting lost. I can't tell anymore if there are ideal intuitions or not. Locke, Locke says yeah, no, then he says yes. Hume says no, then he says no. Kant says no, then he says yes. I mean, the hell with these people. I'm going to meet the absolute idealists. Schelling suggested a featureless, undifferentiated union of opposites as the absolute ideal. Intellectual intuition entails such a union of opposites, subject and object. And thus, it is immersed and assimilated by the absolute and becomes as featureless and undifferentiated as the absolute is. Objective idealists claimed that we can know ultimate spiritual reality 
via intuition or via thought, independent of the senses. And this is, of course, a mystical argument. The Kabbalah makes the same argument. The mediation of words and symbol systems only distorts the signal and inhibits the effective application of one's intuition to the attainment of real immutable knowledge. Sounds good. The phenomenologists, the phenomenologists, the phenomenological point of view is that everything has an invariable and irreducible essence. I'm very close to this view, by the way. This essence is eidos, as distinguished from contingent information about the thing. So that everything has essence, and then it has information that is that coats the essence. It's like a wrapping of a gift. And this wrapping, of course, is discarded. It's contingent. The essence remains the same. We can grasp this essence only intuitively. Identic reduction. This process of transcending the concrete and reaching for the essential is independent of facts, independent of concrete objects or mental constructs. But that it is independent of facts does not mean that it is free from methodology, free variation. It doesn't mean it's free from factual knowledge or from ideal intuitions. We don't discard these things. We use them. The phenomenologist is forced to make the knowledge of facts his point of departure. He then applies a certain methodology. He varies the nature and specifications of the studied object to reveal its essence. This methodology relies entirely on ideal intuitions, such as the rules of logic, for example. Phenomenology, in other words, is an idealistic form of rationalism. It applies reason to discover platonic, idealistic essences. Idealism. It's a marriage. Marriage of idealism and rationalism. My kind of, of relationship. Like rationalism, phenomenology is not empirical. It is not based on sense data. Actually, it is anti-empirical. It brackets the concrete and the factual in its attempt to delve beyond appearances and into essences. Phenomenology calls for the application of intuition, anschauung, to discover essential insights. Wesenseinsichten. Uh, phenomenon in phenomenology is that which is known by consciousness and that is in consciousness. Phenomenologists regard intuition as a pure, direct, and primitive way of reducing clutter in reality. It is immediate, the basis of higher level perception. We spend life hoarding things, hoarding emotions, hoarding information, hoarding, and here comes intuition and cuts through, cuts through the thicket, declutters our lives, our minds. A philosophical system built on intuition would perforce be non-speculative. Hence, phenomenology's emphasis on the study of consciousness and intuition is justified. They don't study reality because reality can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. It is through Wesenschau, intuition of essences, that one reaches the invariant nature of things by applying free variation techniques. So phenomenology is your way to go if you are dating a narcissist or a psychopath. Ignore appearances. Home in to the essence. And when you home in to the essence, don't be shy. Don't feel reduced because you're forced to use intuition. Knowledge won't get you far. Reasoning won't get you far. Logic won't get you far. Narcissists and psychopaths are rationalizing, calculating machines. They're better at this than you. 
You have one advantage over narcissists and psychopaths, your empathy, your intuition. Empathy is a form of intuition. Use all forms of intuition. Listen in, don't listen out. I repeat this, listen in, don't listen out. Observe in, don't observe out. Withdraw, retreat into your mind before you open your mind to someone else. It could be dangerous. The world is not what it used to be. You may wish to be self-preserving and self-protective. Nature has given you the tools, categories, ideals, empathy, and above all, intuition. Use it.